At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up guys, I'm driving home. It's Friday afternoon. The weekend is about to start. Probably um, not doing much this weekend, just relaxing, chilling out. Maybe crack a tall can, put my feet up, fireplace, and a movie. My wife hates watching movies with me because I'm usually asleep halfway through snoring like a bear. But that's not what the podcast is about. This podcast is about Rick Resigno and his second stint on the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Rick was one of the first guests on the podcast way back when, and he's back to talk about the Educators Conference he was recently at in Las Vegas. We're going to talk about the conference. We're going to talk about some teaching techniques that Rick's adapted to reach the young people in his class. Because we got to face it, young people, they think differently these days. And they, they take in information differently than they did 20 years ago. And Rick has adapted to that. And I commend him for it. Um, we're going to talk about saturation. Rick's going to bring saturation to you in a way you probably haven't heard. Okay. And we're going to talk about superheat and subcooling. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. So this True Tech Tools Minute comes with a very cool announcement. And that announcement, I kind of made a little video about it on social media, a short one, just announcing that NAVAC and HVAC Know-It-All will be doing some work together to showcase some of their very cool products. Now, NAVAC has affiliated themselves with True Tech Tools and from what I understand, their products, the NAVAC products, are moving out the door at TrueTech um, very, very rapidly. So just a little while ago, I posted on um, Instagram and Facebook is the NTR14. That's NAVAC's internal and external deburring tool for piping. Now, I've used it for copper. I've used it for plastic. It's cylinder shaped. It's about uh, four inches in length, a couple inches in diameter, not very big, very compact, can fit in a tool pouch actually. Okay. Um, it's on sale at True Tech Tools right now for about 55 bucks, down from about 75. Okay. And save an additional 8% off of that with promo code know it all. And as always, guys, I'll leave the Tesla preferred pricing link in the podcast notes. But check out more of Navac stuff. Very cool stuff. Very cool products at navacglobal.com. You're going to hear Rick talk about the importance of knowing what all the numbers mean on your digital manifold set. Okay, if you don't know what those numbers mean, then you're not going to be able to troubleshoot and you're not going to be able to diagnose the system properly. Now, I do know what they mean because I've been in the trade for a very long time. And I did a little um, demonstration or kind of like an awareness to discharge line temp during the week. Made a video about it. You guys may have seen it on Facebook 
or Instagram. I use my Testo 557s. Okay. I was checking discharge line temp. All right. And then I was checking the saturated condensing temperature of the refrigerant. And I rewatched the video a bunch of times. I'm like, man, look how easy it is to go back and forth between condensing temp and actual temp. Like the flick of a button. So simple. So when you understand what those readings mean, that's where the digital gauges, digital manifolds comes into play to making your life a little bit more easy. Okay, but speaking on discharge line temp, you don't want to go anywhere above 225. That's your kind of rule of thumb. Okay, anywhere above 225 could be dangerous. Because you got to remember that the internals of the compressor are going to be much hotter than that line temp, up to 75 degrees hotter. Okay, if the internals of your compressor are 300 degrees, your oil is going to start to lose its lubrication film, then it's going to start to break down, and it creates like a powdery substance, and all kinds of bad stuff happen within a system. So checking your discharge line temp will tell you kind of what's happening in that system. All right, keep that in mind. Today, I actually made a video of this as well. I actually got a chance to use the, um, the Yellow Jacket rebuild kit for their compound gauges. It's like the Titan, the Brute, the Series 41. It has all the parts to rebuild them. So today I took an old Series 41 manifold and I had a little bit of a lunch break. I didn't eat. I actually went and rebuilt my manifold. Very, very simple. Actually, I could have eaten as well because it only took me about five minutes. Okay, five minutes or less was the time it took to rebuild it because all the pieces are in there. You just take it apart and you put the pieces back together and you have a newly built manifold. And during the, the process of rebuilding it, I used Nylog Blue as an assembly lubricant because it's more than just a sealant. It's also a lubricant to help your parts move freely and continue to move freely because it doesn't harden or dry up. It kind of stays in the same form the day you put it on till the day you, the day you take it off, essentially. Okay. Um, guys, I don't know if you've seen the picture I posted of Smart Seal External during the week, but it's basically a putty. Okay. And you guys have heard me talk about it. You've seen the pictures. And somebody had used it on an aluminum coil where the copper meets aluminum okay they they wrote the date on it the time um and they wrote the pressure that they they tested it at 825 psi so it was another successful test of smart seal external great truck stock item to have in your truck for those oh crap moments the times when you can't light a torch potentially so it's good to have in your truck okay guys so check it out AC Smart Seal External. And guys, as always, follow Field Pulse on Instagram and Facebook for hilarious memes. And then when you get into their serious stuff, what they do and what they're known for is their paperless billing system. Okay. 14 day free trial, fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Hey, what's up, Rick? How's, how's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Um, it's been uh, it's been a while. You were actually 
the first guest or one of the first I guests know. on the podcast. And I got to actually, we talked earlier and I forgot to apologize to you. I was going through my kind of my, uh, my technical experiments uh, for the interviewing process. And I know some of it kind of um, didn't work out because the, the voices kept dropping out a little bit, but I have that all sorted right. out. So we're ready to rock. We're ready to rock and uh, welcome back. And, and thanks again for, for um, offering your services. Absolutely. My pleasure. So how you doing today? I'm doing really good. Um, I now have Fridays off. So I'm sitting here in my bunny slippers and my cup of coffee in my office, just kind of chilling. So uh, awesome. it's all good. Yeah, you have an office? That's awesome. Kind of, yeah. It's, uh, we, I call it an office, but in the real world, we call it an attic. So. Uh, okay. You know what, though? You can, a lot of these, I've seen a lot of nice attics that get transformed into really cool living spaces. So I'm just, I'm envisioning, yeah. I'm envisioning what you're, you're speaking about in my head and I, and I can see like a big, uh, a uh, big brown desk, some cherry red furniture. You're <laughs> smoking, smoke, smoking a cigar. Well, I, I quit smoking about twenty. I don't know. Let's see, about eighteen years ago. So uh, no, the cigar definitely not. Um, the the desk is a hand me down. I think I might have even picked it up off the curb somewhere. <laughs> I've got my MacBook Pro plugged into a television, and I'm just sitting here, kind of chilling on a on. Uh, actually, the off the chair is new. I have to say that. Cool. So, but other than that, no, it's uh, pretty laid back. So nice, nice. So I, I wanted to talk to you about um, the Educators Conference in Vegas. Well, what is the the correct yeah. name name for that conference? Okay, it is the um, it is the National Heating Educator and Tech uh, Trainers Conference, um, and it's uh, basically produced by. The folks at ESCO um, in their HVAC excellence uh, branch, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, this is this year, I think, was their 13th uh, annual conference. Um, and for those of you that don't, you know, maybe live outside of the United States, um, ESCO Institute is a testing facility for um, not only for the EPA Section 608 universal certification, but also the Green Mechanical Council. Um, uses ESCO as their testing facility. Um, and with that said, there are uh, a number of other certifications that um, a technician or a student can get. Um, Hamden Engineering uh, um, sponsors employment readiness testing through ESCO. So if we have a guy in our, in our school that, let's say, finishes um, <clears throat> basic refrigeration, he can go on and take a test with ESCO and get like a certification in refrigeration, basic refrigeration, gets a little patch to put on his, his uniform. Um, but what it says to an employer is that not only did this guy, you know, take a, take a class in a trade school, but he went beyond just the school part of it and sort of outside of the boundaries of the classroom took it upon himself to further him, his education by taking these employment readiness tests. Nice. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but also they, you know, they offer a whole bunch of other certifications. Like for myself, for an educator, um, they offer something called a certified master heating educator certification, um, which is seven <laughs> very unpleasant tests um, that as an educator, we have to we have to score an 80 percent or higher in order to obtain the certification. Um, they range from heat pumps to gas heat, oil heat, um, commercial refrigeration, commercial air conditioning, um, controls and electrical. 
Um, and then there's like a core type of test where it's basic education stuff, like, you know, how to manage a classroom and write a lesson plan and so on. Um, so there's a hundred and I think 19 or 20 or so in the country. Um, we have, uh, I think everybody but two or three in our staff is CMHA educators. Cool. Uh, so we have like seven or eight in our, in our staff, uh, at Union, New Jersey. So. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty, pretty big deal. So the conference um, is a once-a-year thing where ESCO, HVAC Excellence, puts on this, this educators' conference. Um, this year, there was over 800 people there from all over the country and even some folks from your neck of the woods from down in Canada, uh, up in Canada. They come down <laughs> to uh, sunny Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, so, and, uh, so it's, it's everything from, uh, like we have a, there's a, like a main sort of themed, uh, meeting where it's a luncheon and they, they cover a topic, but there's all these breakout classes that were absolutely fantastic. Um, so, you know, as an educator, um, you and I chatted about this offline a little while ago, you know, I, I started teaching in 2011, so I've been out of the game, so to speak for eight years. Um, so in eight years, think of the technologies that have come along. Yeah, um, mind-blowing. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's still, you know, evaporator, compressor, condenser, metering device, but how they get there is is what changes. So, like, we went from PSC compressors to inverter compressors. You know, we went from, you know, a, a, a T87, you know, the yo-yo thermostat to, like, Nest and Lyric and Ecobee. Um, so it, things have moved. And for an educator, we stand in a classroom sort of insulated uh, from the movements that occur in the, in the industry. So things like the, the, the HVAC Excellence Conference gives me, an educator, a, a chance to you know, kind of catch up with all this stuff. Um, Wednesday, we, were at the, uh, we did a school uh, trip to the ABCO um, Expo here in, uh, in Queens, New York. Um, and it's it's put on by Apco uh, Refrigeration Supply, um, so it, we, that's all sales for, for, for the most part. But even still, you know, it's a great way for somebody like myself and for a student uh, to just get out there and start asking people questions. Like uh, Emerson was there; um, they had a couple of cutaways of scroll compressors. They had a discus compressor cutaway. Um, you know, of course, they had all sorts of information on on uh, inverter technology and, and digital compressors and stuff. So this is how we stay connected and keep current, you know, um, and that Vegas conference was fantastic for that. I got to ask you, um, sure. you know, I, I remember this cause I remember seeing pictures of this last year, you entered yourself into some sort of competition, right? And you actually, actually a, yeah, you placed in it, right? Yeah. I, I was afraid you were going to ask about that <laughs> <laughs> because last year I, I placed third. Who can me, you know? And it was like, first off, it was a surprise. So I get to Vegas. I literally step off the plane and go to the conference. And a good friend of mine, Lou Vandrell, who worked for Lincoln Tech, he's no longer with Lincoln Tech. He was, he's my boss. He was, at the time, was my, like, boss's boss's boss. He was, like, the vice president of trade skills in Lincoln Tech. So he's, like, he was, like, somebody. So he sees me shake my hands and goes, so you're going to be in a contest, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I have no idea what the heck he's talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So I jumped into this thing kind of blind, and I did well. This year, I had my head handed to me. I got to tell you, man, it, it kicked my ass. 
Um, uh, yeah. So, and you know, in retrospect, look, every, I don't care how long you've been doing this. I don't care if you've been doing this for three years or three decades, there is going to come a time where you're going to open up a panel. You're going to sit down to a, a furnace and it's just going to be like, well, this thing's going to eat my lunch today. And, and that's basically what happened. You know, you go through the whole morning process like, oh, man, I can't believe I screwed up. You know, I, I suck, you know, go through all this stuff. But really, the bottom line is everybody has an off day. And, and I, I want to tell I want to speak directly to the, the, the new tech, the student, the apprentice. Man, give yourself permission to make a mistake. It happens to everybody. And I'm sure you're listening to me say this and you could probably go through the file in your brains going, oh, yeah, I remember that day. I remember that, that that system kicked my ass for days, you know, or that callback that I just could not get victory over. Yep. Um, that was that was what happened to me at the at the conference. And I, I and another thing, I was trying way too hard to beat myself. So um, you know, like the 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 competition part of it, um, the looking good for Lincoln Tech part of it, um, all of that sort of weighed against me. And instead of just going to have fun, to to try to, you know, meet some challenges, I, I let it get I let it get the best of me and it happens, you know. Um I want to thank Eugene Silverstein from ESCO, um, because he's the one that this is sort of his brainchild. Um and you know, the things that he came up with were absolutely brilliant. Um he had set up a bunch of hands on challenges that I'm I'm gonna I, I'm gonna email him and I'm going to straight up steal them from him. I'm just gonna tell you right now. Like they had a couple of things for owning out compressors, which was absolutely brilliant. He made a puzzle out of wood pieces for the refrigeration cycle, which was absolutely brilliant. Because if you didn't get it put together, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. So he had the wood pieces keyed electronically. Oh, so when okay. you set it down in this little thing, you push a button, either the button, either the light turned red or it turned green. And if it turned red, you had something in the wrong place. So it was really great. So, um, yeah, so it, that challenge wasn't my shining moment, but um, nevertheless, I learned a ton from it. Um, and, yeah, it was fun. So there you have it. So my, my take on that, and, and, and I totally agree with you, when you get and, – and I just talked about this on a recent podcast about writing my um, journeyman exam, how hard I was on myself and how I started second-guessing myself. And, mm-hmm. and and I just barely passed and I didn't even have enough time at the end to finish like the last, I can't remember. It was like 10 to 15 questions or something like that. And I had to, mm-hmm. in the last minute, 30 seconds, I'm guessing on the last questions. And then when I sure. went to, I went to write my, my gas fitter exam, I took the opposite approach. I said, I've studied, I'm going to follow my gut and I'm just going to answer the questions. Um, and I'm going to use my gut and, and what I've studied as, as, um, as, as my go-to. And, I I passed with flying colors on that exam. So there's the difference between me second guessing myself and not. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's the same. If you put me in front of a unit with all my tools, nobody watching, service call, yeah, I'll figure it out. But you put me in front of <laughs> a timer and a clock, right? It, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole different story. The whole bunch of people watching, and you're trying yeah. to do better than everybody else. But if you if you yeah. just if you just like you said, have fun, relax, and just kind of let your gut lead you you probably would have done a hell of a lot better because I know I, I would do a hell of a lot better if I take that approach. Yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. So I did see couldn't something something that was pretty cool. Like I saw a bunch of pictures and posts about the educators conference and uh, different things like 
enthalpy. Somebody was talking about enthalpy and uh, some other stuff. But then I saw this lady um, doing a conference and she had a big, huge smile on her face and everybody sitting in the, in the, uh, I don't know what it was, like a, a conference room or whatever, but you could just mm-hmm. see she was in the middle of the aisle and people to the right, people to the left, and everybody had these huge smiles on their faces. And I think what she was teaching was ways to keep uh, your classroom engaged, different ways and styles to keep your classroom engaged while teaching. Did you go to that specific? I, I, did, I didn't catch that one. Okay. Um, she was from, oh gosh, she was from Women in HVAC. Okay. Um, which is a, uh, a a group of folks who are, uh, you know, as their name implies, support um, females in the HVAC trade, um, which I've got to say, you know, first off, bravo. Um, if you if you take on that, that challenge, it's challenging for anybody, but it's especially challenging for a female in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of it. I, I can't relate. I can empathize, but I can't relate. Um, they are faced with challenges that go beyond, you know, most most folks' understanding. Uh, but she was, I think her name was Angie, if I remember correctly. And and the folks that went to her her class said it was absolutely fantastic. Um, there were there was probably two and a half dozen or so breakout sessions. So a lot of the really good ones happened simultaneously. So it was tough to catch the really good ones because there was so many happening all at once. Yeah. Um, so at the same time, I was going to uh, one of the uh, breakout sessions that was similar to that, and it was um, it was done by uh, United Association, and I don't I'd never heard of them before uh, this this um, conference, but it was um, a gentleman named Rich and a young lady named uh, Laura who were leading the the class, and it was recruit and engage apprentices in the 21st century. Um, and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, they talked about how millennials and Gen Z folks, how they assimilate information, how they relate to one another. Um, and it was, it was just absolutely brilliant, especially for a guy like myself, who's, you know, I'm in my fifties and, you know, me doing social media and you and I were talking about this earlier me doing social media is like, you know, every grandparent on the planet just putting pictures of their grandkids on Facebook. You know, that to me is yeah. social media, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, there's a lot of studies out there that show that the 35 and under crowd, the way they gather information is not the same way like I gather information. Like, I'll sit down and watch television, um, but according to the statistics, millennials and Gen Z's Gen Z's rather, spend a, a very, very tiny fraction of their time on television, viewing television. They view Vines, YouTube, um, Instagram videos, and, and that's the way they, they gain information. That's the way they gather thoughts and things like that. That's the way they connect with one another. So this class was, was speaking directly to that, that topic, and it was absolutely smashing. So um, can again, you give can you give yeah, some fine. examples of of how um, maybe an educator in a classroom? Because I, I think that you're, you're saying that um, you learn from this. So would you take some of what you learn into the classroom to kind of relate to these 
kids. I know some, some of them are kids, but some of them are, are actually grown men that have uh, changed careers paths. But the kids right. that are in, in that kind of, uh, like you said, millennial stage, have you now got a, a better understanding on how to um, get to these kids in the classroom now? Uh, absolutely. So um, one of the things as a teacher, you know, uh, uh, you stand in front of a classroom and you've got 20 to 30 people standing there, uh, sitting there in a classroom. And invariably what happens now is within a matter of minutes, somebody pulls out a phone and another somebody pulls out a phone, somebody else pulls out a phone. Next thing you know, they're watching, you know, they're either watching sports or videos or they're, you know, on Snapchat or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, as an educator, it's like, dude, really? I mean, I'm up here beating my gums to try to educate you and you've got your face in your phone, you know? And it just, you know, at first you're like taken aback from that. And you're, you're insulted. Like, but what they, what they propose is instead of, shying away from that kind of technology, use it to your advantage. Yep, I agree. So um, Rich, um, uh, one of the presenters, he, he suggested using something called an endorphin lollipop, which I thought was brilliant. Um, so um, he, what he means by that is, is simply this. Um, w- when you pick up your phone, right? Um, I don't know if you're into gaming at all. I certainly am not. I Video games make my head itch. I can't. I can't figure them out. But uh, I'm not into gaming. My kids are, and that's that's where I get my gaming fix from by listening to their stories of it. So <laughs> I listen to your kids, right? Yeah. So, um, but if you if you actually see what a video game is, it's it's basically flashing lights and flashing images, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a technology that literally releases endorphins in your brain. And what do endorphins do? They make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why, and not to get to not get all sinister and negative, but that's why the pornography industry is as strong as it is, is because the images reduce endor- re- release endorphins. The first thing I I saw when I stepped off the plane in Vegas it is bells and whistles on um, you know the one on bandits on the on the uh, slot machines. Yep, and they're making noise. There's flashing lights. So it, it attracts you to this thing. So um, this guy, Rich, he, what he had said was, use that to your advantage. So you've got a guy sitting there, got it kind of going off in, in, into his own little world. Bring them back. Hey, guys, break, everybody break out your phone. Look up this YouTube video on whatever, um, the basic refrigeration cycle. Um, or, you know, I teach a class at Lincoln Tech called Design and Layout, which is all about comfort. So when I realize this, I'm starting to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher in their brain, I'll say, all right, everybody break out your phone. Go to YouTube. Look up the room temperature room from a show called Community. Uh, it's, it's actually the most ridiculous thing you've ever put your eyes on, but it speaks exactly to what we do in design and layout. Mm-hmm. It's creating the room temperature room, you know? So it's, it's that, that brief break and putting them into their, their – um, their uh, uh, their space that they understand, which is, you know, YouTube, Vines, and things like that. Um, you know, we have we older people have to understand that there is now this this um, digital citizenry that's going on out there um, that we have to learn how to embrace. So we've got games that we'll use in our classroom. From one is called a uh, Kahoot, um, K A H O O T where an educator like myself, I can do like if it, like I'm doing basic refrigeration right now. I can do uh, a, a game show sort of setting with my students. They can log into the game, their name, their handle, so to speak, shows up on, on a scoreboard. 
I pop up a question. They have to answer A, B, C, or D. And, you know, for it shows a leaderboard and all this other thing. And, and the guys love it. They, 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 but it's in their space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my, my demographic is, is these folks. And it's right in their lane, you know. So that's what I came away with in, in this, uh, this breakout session is how as an educator do I embrace the thing that was my nemesis originally, which uh-huh. is, you know, like smartphones, you know? Yeah. And I, I got to commend you for that because a lot of people, they get to a certain age and they're like, yeah, that's sorry. That's not how I'm doing it. That's not the way we did it. And I don't care how you did it. This is the way we're going to do it. So I commend you for right. having an open mind and, and seeing it the way, um, these younger kids are seeing it. Like it took me a while when I first started getting online and doing this stuff, it took me a while to adapt to all of this. And as I see my kids grow and, and as you said, my kids don't watch cable TV at all. They watch, um, they have smart TVs in the room that's connected uh, through Wi-Fi, the internet, they don't have cable TV. They watch uh, Netflix and they watch YouTube. And then when they play, um, they're they're still at a young age so they don't play like call of duty they play like Fortnite, and that's how they connect with their friends it's like right. your your friends aren't coming over to play super mario anymore they're they're no. connecting with their friends with the headset on and through texting through the video game so it's right this is this right. is crazy but it's it's the way of the world and it's either you have to adapt to it or or you're just going to go against the grain and that's where, where it's going to cause problems i think is if you go against the grain and, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, so I sitting in church, I listened to a pastor preach once. He, he talked about well, actually many times, but this one time he talked about how how things are, are moving. If you're if we're talking, he, he used the analogy of a train and a station platform. You may be standing on the platform. Once the train pulls into the station, it pulls out. All right, so you're standing on a platform, the train left. You're not going backwards, but the train moves away from you. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't get on the train, then, you know, this, this thing just keeps moving further and further away from you. You may not be going backwards, but everything else is moving away from you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, look, it, it's not, it's not going to be an easy t- transition for me because I don't understand it. You know, like, again, my, my understanding of the social world is, look, post a picture on Facebook. Woohoo, I got it, you know. But yeah, then there's so. Facebook, there's Instagram, there's Snapchat, there's Tumblr, there's Periscope. And all these other platforms that I am completely ignorant of. Um, so as, a, as an educator that's trying to reach a, a generation of people that is going to replace me in the field. Now, if you go back to what I said earlier in, in the conversation, I left the field in 2011. That left a hole in the field. Now, fortunately, in the last eight years, I've had more than enough opportunity to create my replacement as being an educator. Yep. Um, but according to the department, uh, the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics, in the, in, during the decade of two, 2016 to th- 2026, there will be 79 million retirees from the tra- skilled trades. Wow. And only 41 million to replace them. That's only in the United States. I can only imagine it's basically the same in, in Canada, in Europe, and, and maybe in South America and Mexico. So you're saying we're going to be doing a lot of overtime then? <laughs> <laughs> Not me, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you will be, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, now it's going to be left to the guys who are, who are left behind, so to speak. And, and citing the same statistical information, 
the average age of, uh, matter of fact, you tell me, what do you think the average age of, of a skilled tradesman is? The average age of a skilled tradesman? Hmm. I would say 43. You missed it. Keep going. Uh, oh. 48. Keep going. Yeah, really? 53. Yeah. yeah you're getting closer. The 55. Average age of, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it right there. The average age of a skilled trade uh, uh, technician, journeyman, you know, somebody who's out there still doing the trades is 55 years old. And that's all trades, right? That, yeah, it's across okay. all trades. It's not okay. just, you know, HVAC or refrigeration specific, okay. but across all, all right. trades. Um, but nevertheless, it, even even with that, even though it's, you know, not trade specific, what, what is that saying to you? It, it's We're getting old. You know, yeah. the guys that are still able to do the job are getting old. Mm-hmm. And, and I had my I had my epiphany moment um, standing at the bottom of an extension ladder. I, I looked up that ladder and I said, I, I, I can't do it today. I, I don't. My body is physically incapable of carrying a 38 pound tool bag up this extension ladder one more time. Mm-hmm. And I got home from work that day, um, literally in pain. And I said to my wife, I said, I, I don't know what to do. I can't keep doing this. Um, I'm in a place where I'm either going to have to go, you know, flip parts over a counter at APCO or United or someplace, or I'm going to have to find something else to do altogether. Um, now, fortunately, my wife knows me well enough, and she turned to me and said, well, you know, you like to talk, so why don't you teach, you <laughs> teach somewhere? So I sent my resume to a school here in Manhattan, and holy crap, they hired me. Nice. <laughs> so it turns out that I actually love doing this. Um, and I, I wanted to say this, Gary, because I want to make sure that your your listeners understand, especially someone who's sitting in a trade school right now or thinking of a trade school. Um, the guy standing or gal standing at the front of the classroom is not there to make money. In the trade school industry, it is not a highly paid position. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make far more money out in the field. And, and please don't take this as a, as a slap in the face of the people who feed me. I love my job. Lincoln Tech has taken very good care of me in terms of me being an employee. Are there things I could see differently? Sure. But that's true of any, any employer. But the trade schools um, in general are not known for being well-paid positions as, a, as an instructor. So the person standing in front of you in that classroom is not there because they're getting a paycheck. Understand that. They're there because they love to educate. They want to precipitate a a growth in the trade. Um, To to coin a phrase from Mike Mayberry, we want to make HVAC great again. (laughs) It's going to make all kinds of people's heads explode. But um, but we, we as an education system, we want to make sure that we're filling in those 79 million holes that are going to be left in the industry. Yeah. So that's why we're there for, for the love of our, our, our industry, for the love of, of teaching and training somebody. Um, there's no better reward than having one of my students come back to me and say, Mr. Rick, thank you for dot, dot, dot. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Gary, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but this, you just kind of touched on something that is obviously no, a passion. Of mine. No, no, that, that's fine. And it's going to create a segue into the, the, the kind of the technical stuff you wanted to talk about after. So continue. Okay, cool. Thank you. So uh, Wednesday we went to the Apto, um Expo here in Queens, and that was a school-wide thing. 
So I ran into a couple of my former students who graduated about two years ago, um, Elon Spiro and, and Michael Leah. They started a company called Air Movement, um, and they like graduated from Lincoln Tech. I know, I know who Sorry. they are. I know who they are from Instagram. Sorry to stop you there, but uh, yeah, 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 they, yeah. They, they, Mike follows me on Instagram, and, and <laughs> they have this thing where they they slap each other in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Go on. And, and yeah, they were those same characters in the classroom. But um, to, to their to their their credit, they they left. They they ran out of the cave. They're killing it and they're dragging it back, man. These guys are success stories, and that's why I stand in front of a classroom. Because I want the, the Elons and the Mikes, I want the air movement guys, I want them to succeed. Because, you know, in a few years, it, it's going to be tough to get your system service because there's not going to be anybody available. Or your house built because there won't be anybody available. Yeah. Um, and and uh, with that also in mind, our, the trades, our, our blue collar environment has such a bad rap, man. Um, the, the media takes us apart even at, at every time. man. if you watch a television show, like my wife and I just binged watch, you know, like 13 years worth of ER in like three weeks. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, here you go. There's your millennial moment. right there. So Yeah, exactly. Every, every time they have like an, uh, an air conditioning guy on or an electrician in or a plumber, they all look the same overweight unkempt, idiotic, or crooked every single time. Not once do you see some guy come in and he's like, you know, what, what we all typically look like, somebody who's a professional who does the job to the best of their ability with excellence and integrity and leaves the customer satisfied. That's what most technicians do in this, in this industry. Mm -hmm. But what they, that's not what, that's not what makes people, you know, interesting. That's not what makes it, you know, fun to watch. Um, so I was watching um, YouTube and I saw a video on, you know, uh, one of these things like Americans are stupid or, you know, something like that. So I asked people basic questions like what temperature does water boil at? And they show people going, Oh, I don't know, a hundred degrees or blah, blah, blah. And they're all over the place. And then they keep going back to this one dude and you always see from his, like basically his shoulders up. Right. And he's getting every single answer. Every They ask him simple, you know, scientific questions. He's getting every single answer. So then they, they widen out the shot, and it's the interviewer standing there, and he's got, he's got a uniform on. And you can't really identify what, what, what the patch says, but you can tell he's a blue-collar guy. Mm -hmm. And she says to him, I'm really shocked that you're able to answer all these questions because, you know, you got your name on your shirt. But just like that. Really, eh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, wow. So you're expecting the guy – who's a technician, plumber, electrician, HVAC guy, refrigeration guy, to be stupid. I, no, we're not. We're, we're scientists. We're plumbers. We're, I mean, geez, I've, I've even been known to be a marriage counselor out, of my, out in the field. So yeah. we wear a lot of hats. No, we no, we, we do. We, we, we do. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, so going back to saying me saying it was a good segue into your passion for teaching you do, you do want to touch on some technical stuff um that was yeah. very very basic to the to the new like the green apprentice or the or the right. or or maybe the kid that's thinking about getting into the trade and they're just a helper right now what what, right. what were those topics you wanted to touch on okay so 
um, a, the dark and scary land of saturation. Um, I, you know, I was sitting here before, before you called and I was looking for the, um, the book's definition to see if I could find an adequate definition of saturation. And I could not, here's the best I could find. This is in a textbook saturation, uh, a term used to describe a substance when it contains all of another substance it can hold. I've never heard okay, that great. before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's another one right next to it. It's a saturated vapor. The restriction when all of the liquid has changed to vapor. Okay, that's great. So there's the book's definition. You're, you're a technician. You're expected to try to put this into practice. Excuse me. So what I do in, a cl in my classroom is I do this. All right, let's put the definition away. I'm going to give you five things that describe saturation in a way that you should be able to get this. Now, here's the first and most important thing about saturation. Number one, and if you can't remember anything else I say after this, remember this point. The pressure-temperature relationship exists. So when you have a saturated liquid, you know it's boiling temperature based on its pressure, or you know it's pressure based on the temperature that it's boiling at. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, we use water as an example because everybody can wrap their head around water. So if I'm standing on the sunny shores of Staten Island, which is where I live, we're, on, we're at sea level, right? So pure water, you have to get to 212 degrees to make it change state from liquid to vapor, boil. If I go to Denver, Colorado, now why is, what's Denver, Colorado's nickname? Do you happen to know? Um, the Mile High City? Is that what it is? That, yeah, that's it, man. Okay, cool. And it's not because of what's currently legal there, yeah. um, herbal libations and such. It's because it actually sits at an altitude of 5,400 feet above sea level. So water boils there at about 200 degrees. Well, what changed? The water didn't change. The pressure changed. Mm -hmm. So the boiling temperature of the liquid is dependent upon its pressure. So that's number one. Number two, it is in fact boiling. So if you're saturated, you are boiling. And when you have something that's boiling, what do you see inside of the pot? You see you water, <laughs> water. Well, oh, okay. You see, <laughs> you see actual water and water vapor at the same time. Right. You see bubbles. Yeah. And the bubbles are vaporized water. So if you have pressure temperature relationship, you are in fact boiling. And if it's boiling, you have a combination of vapor and liquid. Or I, as I, when I write it on the board, I say vapor and liquid coexist, which is a nice millennial term these days. So, so there's three things of the five, right? So what happens if you keep adding latent heat to that liquid? Now, wait a second. Let's take a sidestep for a second. What is latent heat? Well, you are, latent heat me? is a team. <laughs> I, well, I, I, yeah. I didn't know if you were asking me. Or not. No, continue. I just didn't know if you were asking me. I, I okay. hate being put on the spot because then I <laughs> – anyway, go on. Go on, go on, go on. So, so you get the same theory and the headlights look my face. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so latent heat. All right, so the sidebar part of this, latent heat is a term that is that is for heat that's hidden. You can't measure it with the thermometer, but it is there and it needs to be dealt with one way or another. Yeah, change but of state. In short, right, it's a change of state, yeah. but the temperature does not change. So if I have both vapor and liquid together, and if I'm boiling that liquid, it's going to be 212 degrees until all of the liquid is gone. So if I continue heating 
with latent heat, that, that boiling liquid, it is going to vaporize. It's going to go from liquid to vapor. That's number four. The fifth and final thing is if I take away latent heat or remove latent heat from that boiling liquid, it's going to go the other way. It's going to go from vapor to liquid. And we call that process condensing. Now, we'll talk about condensing for one second. When I vaporize water, it expands 1,200 times. So if I have one cubic inch of liquid water and I vaporize it, it becomes 1,200 cubic inches of vapor water or steam. When I go the other way, when I take heat away from it and it goes from vapor to liquid, it literally condenses in size. So the term condensing is what it sounds like. I'm taking this volume of vapor and condensing it down to a smaller volume of liquid. Mm -hmm. In the process, I'm removing latent heat. Um, so there's five things that describe saturation. Now, why is saturation so important to us as, as refrigeration guys? Well, if you don't know what saturation is, your gauges are useless. Exactly. Because your blue gauge is telling you the saturated, saturated pressure of the evaporator. Well, if I know the saturated pressure, I can tell you it's saturated temperature. And from that by itself, I can calculate box temperature. I can get an idea of how many BTUs I'm absorbing. I mean, there's so many things that can be, be gleaned from, and I hate that word, gleaned from knowing the saturated temperature of the evaporator. The red gauge is the saturated temperature of the condenser. So that right there, if you have the, the, the concept of saturation down, you now understand how your gauges work. So now you, it doesn't matter if you've got you know, a, a set of analog gauges or you've got a fancy I-manifold or S-mans or whatever, you know how those gauges are working. Yeah, exactly. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm right here. So <laughs> you're in my classroom, Gary. Come on, no, man. No, this is I um, this is good, man. I've never heard somebody break saturation down like this before. So this is really awesome. Fantastic. I, see, and you know, I for I left Lincoln Tech for a minute to go back out into the field in 2016, which uh, on my fiftieth birthday, I'm in an attic. My birthday's on August sixth. So on birthday number fifty, I'm in a hundred and twenty degree attic saying, What the hell did I do to myself? So here I am back at Lincoln Tech, you know, several months later. But anyway, so I went when I worked with this company, who I'll, I'll keep their name out of the public. I I rode along with a number of their technicians for the first month I was there, and technician after technician after technician all had these nice shiny digital S man 460s, man, and the company um, gave them to the to, they didn't give them to them; they had to pay for them. But the, they all were distributed these. Digital gauges, and you know, the one guy's like, Yeah, those numbers look great. And I'm like, Okay, what about the numbers look good? Kind of just playing along, and he's like, Oh, no, look, they, they look good. Uh, okay, great. What, what do they look good for? How, why do you think they look good? Mm -hmm. and, and you know, as I drill down into this conversation with, with this guy, he's like, um, I, I don't really know. And, and I'm like, Okay, what is the left number telling you on the gauge? He's like, uh, it's the, the low pressure. Okay, great. What about the low pressure? Well, it's it's the low side pressure. Okay, great. What about the low side pressure? What is it actually measuring? He couldn't answer the question. So, you know, I'm like, all right, so you've got these digital gauges that give you all of this information, but you don't know what the information is. Yeah. 
So, so why do you have a six hundred dollar pair of of a, a six hundred dollar manifold if if you don't know what those numbers even mean to you? So, it, it's really, really, really important that you learn as a young tech how to use the simplest tools and your brain, and then you can take something more sophisticated and take that extra data and do something with it. The iManifold is a fantastic platform, man. That thing is awesome. It will do everything from superheat, subcool, calculated saturation points, calculated superheat, calculated subcool, which I'll talk about those topics in a second. It even goes as far as to tell you your, your efficiency rating, theoretical horsepower. I mean, it gets into a whole wealth of information. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know the basics, it's absolutely useless. Now, once you understand saturation and you understand how to get that information off of your digital gauges or your, your analog gauges, you take a thermometer and you take the temperature of the refrigerant as it leaves the evaporator. It's supposed to be low pressure, low temperature, superheated vapor. Well, what's that term superheat, superheat mean? It means I've taken the, ref the liquid refrigerant, I've boiled it past its point of turning from liquid to vapor, it's 100% vapor, and now I've added heat to that vapor above its saturation point. Now, the question has to be asked, why? Why do we take the extra effort to make that, that, that refrigerant superheated as it leaves the evaporator? <coughs> Excuse me. The next component in the chain is something that is extremely sensitive to liquid, and that's the compressor. Mm -hmm. So Blaise Pascal theologian, physicist, scientist, did a bunch of work with liquid. He did an experiment with pressure on the surface of liquids. And he came to the conclusion that if he applies a pressure to the surface of a liquid, that, a press, that pressure is transmitted equally and undiminished to the vessel, meaning that liquids won't compress. So if I have liquid leave the evaporator and it makes it to the compressor, since liquids can't compress, something is going to give in that compressor, and it will be the compressor. Um, in, in my classroom, I have an 06, uh, Carlisle 06, that somebody, uh, Kevin Mate, uh, donated to the school. Um, it had been sitting on a roof for years, um, and it was in horrible condition. But when I flipped the thing over, 600 pounds, I didn't flip anything. I had a couple of screws. <laughs> So um, I, we flipped it over. We took the we took the crank the uh, oil pan off the bottom of the thing, and in the bottom of this this compressor are literally probably a hundred chunks of connecting rods and pistons and bits of crank crankshaft. So this compressor died um, a horrible death in battle. I mean, it was a glorious death to you know to. And what happened was liquid got into the chamber. Flooded start. Was, was that yeah? Flooded start. Slugging back from the evaporator or even oil uh, lubricating oil getting back, you know, settling in the, in the heads. Actually, while, while you're on that topic, I just wanted to sure. um, throw, throw this in there. So I did a course at um, Emerson last year about compressor failures. And, mm -hmm. and one of the ways you can tell the difference between liquid flood back killing a compressor and flooded start is that there's a wear pattern um, of oil wash on like, on like the uh, crankshaft, like say for instance, we're, we're getting some liquid back slowly, slowly, slowly. It's going to start to wash that oil and you'll see that wear mm -hmm. pattern as you take it apart. Um, but nice. if it's, if it's, if it's got liquid in it to begin with and it starts 
um, flooded, then everything just kind of explodes inside. So that's the way you can right. tell if it was a flooded start or if it was a, um, or if it was a, uh, sorry, like a, a flood back. Nice. That's awesome. I, can I just make a, a summary statement on that? Yep. Compressors don't, don't die natural deaths. It's a homicide. Usually, we've yes. Done something, yeah, we've done something either in practice uh, of, of, you know, our service or an installation, but there's a really good chance that that compressor died at the hands of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, look, the compressors die from the manufacturer, sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that every compressor death is a result of a mistake made by a technician, but by and large. Um, and that's why when you send the compressor back to the manufacturer, you have to seal it and send it back with its original oil um, for warranty purposes. And they're going to do exactly what would be done in a homicide. They do a post-mortem on the body to find out what killed it. You know, and as you just described, this is a great illustration as, what they, as to what the manufacturer will do. When they cut that compressor open and look at the, the damage pattern, they can, just, they can decide whether or not it was done as a result of, you know, installation error or something else, like their workmanship failure, um, and in which case they proceed accordingly on, you know, the credit for the warranty. So, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. I wish Emerson would do something close by us. I'm sure they do. I just don't ever hear about it. Yeah, l- luckily for me, their their head office in Toronto here, their Canadian head office is well, it's a couple hours from from me. But I got to go to the course, which was very very good. So I, I enjoyed it and I learned a lot of stuff there. So anyway, so anyway, that's you know I'm, I, I I don't know how much time we have left, but um, how much time do we have? Um, we've been talking for about. 40 minutes. So if you want to keep going for another five, you're, you're, you're good. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I just don't, I, I wasn't attention. Yeah, I know. I, I know you want to end off because did, did you, you, you wanted to, to finish your uh, saturation subcool superheat conversation. Yes. So I, so we, we just basically where we ended off was on superheat. Now let's flip over to the high side. And again, with your red gauge is giving you the saturated pressure of the condenser. And, and that's important to, to wrap your head around because how do I know if the condenser is, is filling correctly, whether or not there's the right amount of refrigerant in the condenser, therefore I have the right column of liquid going to the metering device. And that's by figuring out how, how far below saturation we went. Um, and in the condenser, we're, going from, we're coming out of the compressor, high pressure, high temperature, super heated vapor. We have to give up a bunch of sensible heat to get down to where we start to see little tiny droplets of liquid condensing in our, in our vapor. So once we got vapor and liquid together again, we, we, we're back to saturation. Then we give up latent heat of, sat- of, of condensation and we're going from vapor to liquid. But before we leave the condenser, we not only have to change it all back to liquid, we have to go below saturation. We have to go into something called subcool. Um, and, that's after the last bubbles pop, we're all 100% liquid, the state change has been completed, and now we're starting to lose temperature again. And now we're going down below saturation. So one of the things I, I do when I talk about this is I kind of take a side rail and I talk about the terms hot and cold. Um, one of the things we try to in, uh, instill in our students is that, well, look, we're teaching you a concept, but we're also teaching you a new language. 
when you were a kid, your mom said, don't touch the pot on the stove. It's boiling and it's hot. You'll get yep. burned. But boiling doesn't mean hot. Mm-hmm. Boiling means boiling. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I can boil water with a vacuum pump. I don't yep. have to use a stove to boil water. So when this is illustrated, you tell somebody, touch that flask. Oh, no, it's hot. No, it's not hot. It's room temperature. Because it, it, it's not boiling has nothing to do with hot or cold. It has to do with pressure, right? Yeah. So when I use the term superheat, you know, if you've got uh, an R22 evaporator on an air conditioning unit, it's operating around, give or take, 40 degrees. With 10 degrees of superheat, that means the suction line is going to be 50 degrees. So uh-huh. if you grab a hold of that, you know, beer can cold, right? It, it's going to feel cold. But it is, in fact, superheat. Not hot, superheat. Well, subcool is the same thing. So if I take a pot of water here on the sunny shores of Staten Island and I boil it, it's 212 degrees. I turn the heat off and it gets to 211 degrees. Well, guess what? That's subcool. I'm going to put my hand in the pot. That's not cold. It, it's going to feel pretty damn hot. Yeah, exactly. Subcool. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So, you know, understanding saturation is key to knowing whether or not your system is charged properly for both the superheat side and the subcool side. And without that, your gauges are useless, your thermometer is useless, and, and do you see what I'm saying? Yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, I've, I've never heard anybody put saturation, superheat, and I can tell you got passion to talk about this because I've never heard anybody put it this way, um, the, the way you did with the five initial steps and, and talking about um, Staten Island and then going over to, um, where we go, Denver, Colorado. That, Denver, Colorado. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's a great way of putting it and a great example of how pressure changes the boiling point in different parts of the country. And, and we did that. We've done that experiment in school, too, where they take the, the glass dome, they put it over a bowl of water, pull a vacuum on the dome, and the water starts to boil, and everybody's like, oh, wow. <laughs> right, but it, yeah. it, it's, it's cool. That's kind of your first um, – introduction into how pressure uh, changes boiling temperature of, right. of, of water. So yeah, it's the same right. thing with re- refrigerant. So you got to understand saturation to understand anything, or if you want to troubleshoot refrigeration or air conditioning, you need to understand saturation because if you don't understand right. it, you're, you're lost. So, I mean, that, I think that wraps it up, Rick, because we've talked for a long time and you've, you've given us some, some good points here, especially about the educators conference and how you've, um, how you've kind of adapted to the young millennials um, and, and, and the way they receive information. And, and like I said, I, uh, I commend you for that and your saturation <laughs> conversation was totally awesome, man. Loved it. Awesome. Thanks Gary. I appreciate it. I thank, thanks for including me in your, your world here. This oh, is awesome. Oh, oh, anytime. Yeah, man. So feel free to ring, ring me again. Uh, we'll think of something else to talk about. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, sure we will. The the whole topic of comfort is a whole other thing that is, you know, kind of a, a misunderstood topic where, with humidity. And now I'm not, I'll save it for next time, but just to give you sort of a upfront on it. Uh, when I first started doing it, heating and air, I had no idea how psychrometrics worked. So I'm out there at my digital psychrometer trying to figure out why it's 50% relative humidity going into the air conditioner and it's 95 coming out. And yeah. I'm out, outside with the jug of 22 trying to fix it. <laughs> So, I, you know, I, I, it's another one of those topics that I really like to talk about because it, if I save a guy from making the same time-consuming and costly mistakes I made as a young tech, 
then then that's a win, man. Well, that's that that is a good topic. So maybe we'll get you back on. We'll talk about that. Yeah, man. Be my cool. pleasure. Cool. Okay. So let's say bye to everybody. And like I told you, um, I've been kind of doing this lately. Just hang out on the phone with me afterwards, and sure. we can we can. I got a long drive home, man. So you can keep talking to me if you want. <laughs> and and I, I'm I just finished my cup of coffee, so I think I'm good for a few minutes before I need another. So S- sweet. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Um, until yeah, next th- time. Thanks, guys. No problem. Yes, All right. So what I took from that is that if we wanted to boil a pot of pasta in Staten Island, New York, and a pot of pasta in Denver, Colorado, we're, that pasta is going to be done sooner in New York because the temperature of the water is hotter, correct? <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. Just having some fun. Um, so that was a great conversation. And the fact that saturation and boiling has nothing to do with hot or cold, it all has to do with pressure. You can boil water at room temperature in a vacuum. That says it right there. So that was a great conversation, guys. Um, and it's really cool that Rick has implemented grabbing your phones and looking stuff up in the middle of class. Because then the students get their fix with their phones, and they get to see those blinking lights with all that music that attracts them to it. And I'm I'm not going to deny that I'm attracted to my phone. I am, because there's so much information there. If I put my phone down and I don't know where it is for two minutes, I get all gerfuffled because that's my life. That's my information. So... That's the way kids think these days. Their phone is their life. That's their information. So implementing that in the educational process is fantastic. And like I said in the beginning and through the interview, Rick, I commend you for that. So thanks, Rick, getting on the podcast. That was fantastic, guys. I'm out. Everybody stay safe. Happy HVACing.